Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for joining us. Well, here we are in full-on summer, and over here at the APTA headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia, it means two things. Air so thick and humid, you pretty much have to swim through it, and the arrival of proposed payment rules from the U.S. Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services. And believe me, those rules aren't exactly a cool 65-degree breeze that wafts its way across the Potomac. But this season isn't uh, solely about CMS and its rules, especially this year, there's some significant developments on Capitol Hill too. So in this podcast, we're going to touch on a range of topics from the proposed fee schedule to some good news at the congressional level. And to do that, I'm joined by a hale and hearty crew of APTA government regulatory affairs stalwarts, Justin Elliott, Vice President of Government Affairs at APTA, Kate Gilliard, APTA's Director of Health Policy and Payment, and Brian Allen, Congressional Affairs Specialist for the Association. So welcome to you all. Uh, like I said, here we are, tis the season and all, it's time for CMS to start rolling out payment rules for next year. And Headliner, the physician fee schedule, has already made its appearance as a proposed rule. So Kate, let's get started by talking about the fee schedule. But listeners should understand that we're only going to keep it at a fairly high level in this podcast because the proposed rule really does merit more than the time we have here. Uh, we've already produced some of those more detailed uh, pieces of information and plan to do more. Uh, there's a more in-depth discussion of the fee schedule included in a July 20th uh, regulatory and payment review. Uh, it's a recorded webinar that you can watch for free. Just uh, visit apta.org and search payment and regulatory update. But for now, Kate, what are the main takeaways from the proposed rule? Uh, yeah, Troy, you said it right. This year's fee schedule is not an easy read. It's a whopper. It's uh, always a lengthy rule, but this year it clocks in at over 2,000 pages. So there is a lot to unpack. Uh, but I know the question at the top of everybody's mind is payment. So the conversion factor is set to be reduced 4.42% in 2023. This is something we expected given the fact that the extra congressional funding we secured last year runs out at the end of this year. But CMS is also tweaking RVUs and updating the geographic practice cost index. So individual providers will see a wide range of impacts to their payment, depending on the mix of codes they bill and the location they practice in. Uh, we're also seeing some new codes for telehealth and remote therapeutic monitoring. But long-term telehealth will require congressional action too. Uh, so moving to PTA issues, uh, CMS is unfortunately not changing supervision, but they are once again calling for comments on making virtual supervision permanent, which would certainly be better than direct supervision, but APTA will continue to push for general. Then finally, the most exciting proposal in the rule, in my opinion, is a request for comments on underutilized services. CMS specifically wants to hear about things they already cover that would reduce downstream spending if used more. This is the most important issue for members to get involved in. We in the PT industry already know that physical therapy reduces downstream spending in the form of rehospitalizations, unnecessary surgeries, falls, opioids, chronic conditions, and a whole lot more. We have got to tell CMS about all the things that physical therapists do aside from post-surgical and post-injury rehab. 
which is what CMS and most payers historically only think we're good for. So we really need to tell our story uh, to CMS before the September 6th deadline. Thanks. Um, and as always, uh, APTA will be providing comments to CMS and, of course, encouraging our members to do the same. However, uh, I know there's a big change happening this year in our strategy for individual comment letters to CMS. Again, it's one of those topics that really needs to, to really will benefit from more focus and we'll be focusing exclusively on uh, this issue in future communications. But maybe you could give us uh, a quick heads up on what's changing. Yeah, so in the past, uh, we've been really excellent at getting members to submit comments to CMS. Last year, we had over 10,000 comments submitted using APTA's template letter. But this year, we want to get even better by encouraging members to not only use our template, but to draft their own unique personal letter to CMS. Now, if you don't have time or if you're just not a writer, we're still going to have the template for you to use, but we're also going to be rolling out some resources that really walk you through step by step how to write an effective comment letter. And when it comes to those underutilized services, you really need to tell CMS about your specific practice and your specific patients, which is something a template letter can't do. So once the comment period opens on July 29th, look for those resources and get your letter submitted by September 6th. Great. Great. Uh, uh, of course, uh, if you've been following the fee schedule saga over the past couple of years, you know, as Kate mentioned, that this isn't the first time CMS has proposed cuts by ways of a reduction to the conversion factor. And you probably know that in the last two attempts, Congress has stepped in at the 11th hour and appropriated funds that, that mostly offset those cuts, which of course begs the question, could the same thing happen again this year? And that's where I wanted to bring you in, Justin. What are your thoughts on Congress's role in the fee schedule this time around? Yeah, Troy, it may be the dog days of summer, but advocacy never uh, takes a vacation. And with the release of the proposed 2023 Medicare fee schedule rule, um, all eyes are now turning to Capitol Hill and the need for Congress to intervene yet again and provide additional funding to the fee schedule to boost the conversion factor to mitigate and prevent cuts to dozens of providers, not just physical therapists, but surgeons, OTs, SLPs, audiologists, you name it. And so this is gonna be, again, front and center in terms of our advocacy uh, efforts. Now, listeners know uh, and recall that they, Congress has uh, thankfully intervened uh, twice before, uh, both at, for, to provide funding to the 2021 fee schedule and 2022 fee schedule. And we need Congress to intervene yet again to prevent cuts to the 2023 fee schedule. So between now and December, uh, APTA is gonna be ramping up our advocacy efforts, uh, but we're not, we're not in this alone. We are working with our friends at the American Medical Association, uh, AOTA, ASHA, the American College of Surgeons, uh, dozens of providers coming together uh, to advocate and urge Congress to intervene again uh, to provide additional funding to the 2023 fee schedule. Now, while we are pushing for a short-term fix, uh, to the fee schedule, um, we are also really calling on Congress that now is the time to make major reforms, to change the fee schedule, uh, to get us out of this cycle of cuts that we've been in over the past few years. Uh, the fee schedule is broken, um, and this is not how you pay for health care in, in this country. And along with the cuts to the fee schedule, there's, of course, the challenges uh, to the MIPS program. And so while we are grateful uh, for Congress uh, intervening the last couple of years, and we really hope that they will do so yet again, we really want to start looking at what are some of the big 
long-term big picture reforms uh, that can be done uh, to the fee schedule. So our advocacy on this, on the fee schedule has already kicked off. Uh, we had a Capitol Hill fly-in back in June where we had over 100 APTA members uh, come to DC and meet with their members of Congress on this and, and a number of other issues. And it's gonna be the focus of our August recess where we will have APTA members meeting with their members of Congress in district while they're home uh, to talk about the fee schedule well, along with a number of other issues. Yeah, and I can't imagine that um, Congress particularly enjoys being called upon to step in at the last minute to, to fix something. And, and, and do you think that this is like helping to underscore the idea that there are uh, some systemic problems here? Yeah, you know, I think if there's any silver lining uh, to this uh, crisis, it's that, you know, this all started, uh, these cuts to the fee schedule started during the middle of the uh, COVID pandemic. And it really kind of made members of Congress question, why are there cuts to the U.S. healthcare system when we're in the middle uh, of a pandemic? And it allowed APTA and a number of our other coalition partners to really explain what are some of the structural problems with the fee schedule, this thing called budget neutrality, which requires cuts to the fee schedule, and to talk about how providers are not getting paid for the value that they bring to the healthcare, and particularly for physical therapists who bring a tremendous amount of value in terms of preventing surgeries, uh, preventing uh, opioid addiction, and really having downstream costs. So it has allowed us to have those, uh, uh, those conversations with Congress and highlight and put a spotlight on all the problems that are occurring with the fee schedule. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, back up just a little bit and, and touch on something that you mentioned uh, when you were talking earlier. And uh, I think Kate may have mentioned, um, and Kate, maybe you can respond to this. And uh, it's an important point to make, I think, is that these cuts that were that that, that physical physical therapy isn't the only profession facing these cuts. Is that right, Kate? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, these are cuts to the conversion factor, which affect every single code build under the fee schedule. It doesn't matter if you're a physician, a surgeon, a chiropractor, a speech therapist, all of the codes are being devalued by these budget neutrality adjustments to the conversion factor. Okay, I, yeah, that's a really important uh, point to remember too. This is, again, we're talking systemic here. So um, Justin, I'm going to move back to you. So that's an impending issue on Capitol Hill. Anything else on Capitol Hill we should be paying attention to right now? Well, there's a number of bills uh, we're working on and hope to see action. Everything from legislation dealing with prior authorization under Medicare Advantage plans uh, to the Lymphedema Treatment Act, which just passed out of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. We have legislation, of course, our work for Allied Health Workforce Diversity Bill, legislation to expand uh, locum tenens. Uh, yeah, we have a lot on our plate that we're working on, including uh, H.R. 5536, which is the SMART Act. And of course, this is the legislation uh, that is aimed at mitigating uh, the impact of the payment differential for physical therapist assistance and occupational therapy assistance that went into effect on January 1st, uh, 2022. And again, this is legislation we are working on with our friends over at AOTA and a number of other uh, groups. Um, and basically this legislation would do a couple things, but really it would provide a carve out for rural and underserved areas uh, to this payment differential. And it would also address an issue that APTA has long been advocating for, uh, and that is the issue of PTA supervision under Medicare Part B. Currently, of course, the supervision requirement is direct 
supervision that's administratively burdensome uh, and difficult uh, for both PTs and PTAs, this would require a change in the supervision to general supervision to allow PTAs to uh, perform at the top of their licenses and provide flexibilities for uh, uh, physical therapists and uh, small businesses. So that uh, legislation continues to be a, a focus. And again, uh, something that will be, we talked about in June during our Capitol Hill fly-in, something we will be talking about uh, during our August recess. But yeah, we have a lot on our plate and a short time to get it done. That's right. And I know that um, we'll be providing some more information uh, related to this August recess and what members can do at the at, in their home districts to, to help get some of the messages across uh, on some of these issues. Uh, Kate, I'm going to go back to you just one more time because I know we have another rule, which is the uh, home health prospective payment system, the proposed rules out. Uh, what do we need to know about that one? Yeah, so those who have been following post-acute care reform know that Home Health switched to a new payment model back in 2020. And at that time, CMS was concerned that the way the payment model was structured would cause home health agencies to modify their behavior in order to achieve greater payment, as opposed to responding to what their patients actually needed. Um, so two years late into the new model, and utilization is down, but payment is up, leaving CMS to say, basically, I told you so, and cut payment. But the issue here is that the drop in utilization may be just as attributable to the pandemic and widespread staffing shortages in the industry. We take issue with the fact that CMS doesn't appear to be trying to get to the bottom of the cause and is just cutting payment, which is definitely not going to increase utilization. We want CMS to protect patients' access to therapy, and we just don't think a pay cut is the way to do that. Yeah, amen. Um, and thanks. Like I said earlier, if you want to dig deeper into the fee schedule, uh, look for that recording from July 20th. And you'll also want to keep an eye out for a video devoted to the a video devoted to the fee schedule, as well as more written resources on the rule uh, and an issue brief on how the proposed conversion factor would affect some specific codes and instructions on how to easily create an effective comment letter of your own. Uh, of course, the easiest way to avoid missing out is to check out APTA Weekly, which is our free email roundup of association news and information. It's delivered to you every Wednesday. Uh, new resources are always announced there as they become available. And of course, you know, links to the new content always included. So, so keep an eye out for that. It's every Wednesday. We're taking a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, we're going to be looking at two potential wins for the profession and especially for patients. And now for a quick break. Join the APTA Advocacy Network. It's free for members. Just visit APTA.org and search Advocacy Network. And now let's return to the show. We're back. And as much as it might seem like it's all fee schedule all the time around here these days, the fact is that there are some other developments definitely worth mentioning. And this time around, these developments are decidedly good news. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to you, Brian. What's been happening? Well, thanks so much, Troy. Happy to be the bearer of uh, good news, particularly with everything that's been going on with the fee schedule. So I'd like to talk about a, a couple of wins for uh, APTA, for our members, and more importantly, for their patients. So first off, I wanted to talk about uh, a bill that was recently introduced by uh, Jamie Herrera-Butler and Lisa Blunt-Rochester. That is uh, HR 8181 the Optimizing Postpartum Outcomes Act of 2022. 
Now, the name of the game with this bill is promoting awareness. Pelvic health is vital uh, really for everyone, but particularly for uh, postpartum individuals. And despite how important it is, it's not something that is often prominent in the continuum of care. We have a lot of postpartum individuals and even providers that aren't aware of just how important these services are. So this bill is designed to address this. So first off, the bill is instructing CMS to issue guidance on coverage under Medicaid and CHIP for pelvic health services performed during the postpartum or neonatal period. This guidance is going to include best practices, financing recommendations, technical assistance to state agencies, and even suggested terminology and diagnostic codes. It also instructs the Government Accountability Office to conduct a study on pelvic health programs and to submit a report to Congress that details gaps in coverage and other services that postpartum women may have received or may need during their pregnancies. And this is actually really important and really timely. CMS is actually on a pivot towards increasing access to postpartum services, particularly provided through Medicaid and CHIP. However, only about half of all of the 50 states in the District of Columbia actually provide postpartum services. So now is the time to focus on what state agencies can do to provide these services and again, to promote them. Now, this bill does go a little bit further. It also uh, obligates the HHS secretary to carry out a program to train and educate health professionals on the benefits of pelvic health in general, but specifically of pelvic floor physical therapy. And it also educates postpartum individuals on this as well. With, for uh, the postpartum individuals, there's a focus on the importance of pelvic floor examinations and PT, what these services even are and where they can go to get them. So we're really excited about this bill. Uh, this is a great way to increase the visibility of a really important service that again, you know, some postpartum individuals may not even know they need. I guess one of the things that I wanted to, to point out about what you were, were just saying, Brian, is that that component of, um, of provider education seems to be really key, right? I mean, uh, uh, patients could know that it's an option, but if their providers don't understand that it's, uh, it, it, you know, if their providers don't understand the, the uh, the potential effectiveness of it, it kind of uh, creates a roadblock, right? Exactly. It really does create a roadblock to care. And I mean, I know speaking to this audience, everyone understands, but continuum of care and getting that care out in a timely manner is so important, uh, particularly here. There could be long-term effects if postpartum individuals don't get pelvic floor PT in a timely manner. So yeah, that really is an important and often under the radar aspect of this. Yeah, yeah. And so we have another piece of good news, right? We most certainly do. 
So I'm actually going to uh, pivot to the VA side of things now. And uh, in the, the, we call it Milcon VA, but in the military and VA uh, side of the 2023 appropriations bill, we have some language in there that is encouraging the VA to hire and retain PTs and PTAs. And the language actually notes that physical therapy is so important in managing pain, but doing it without opioids. So this language is encouraging the VA to examine how to recruit and retain PTs and PTAs, particularly through competitive pay and a program known as the Health Professional Scholarship Program. Now, what this program is, is it, it's fairly self-explanatory, but the VA through the Health Professional Scholarship Program provides financial assistance to students receiving education or training in a direct or indirect healthcare services discipline. So right now that covers nurses, PAs, medical technologists, NPs, a variety of workers, but it doesn't cover PTs. And I know just how important student loan forgiveness can be, particularly for those who have chosen to serve the public by entering into government services. So that's what's particularly exciting about this. And you know, this is the culmination of a long-term effort to try to bolster recruitment and retention for PTs in the VA, because the VA is actually the single largest employer of physical therapists in the country. So this is something that I know the VA wants. This is something that I know our members want. So we're really excited to see this make its way into the appropriations process. Yeah, it is. It's really great. And and uh, I, I think uh, it, it's part of, uh, it's bolstered by the fact that APTA established an official partnership with the VA a few years back. Uh, I think it really speaks well to the way that these partnerships can be uh, can be leveraged. And to that end, uh, talking about leveraging and, and using our advocacy influence, um, I wonder if you tell us a little bit about you know, this is great news. Uh, what role did, did we have and did our components have in, in making all this stuff happen? Well, of course, uh, let's just keep going with the VA. So I was fortunate enough to be able to speak to a couple of uh, interested congressional offices, you know, so a member and a senator who have uh, been longtime friends of ours on the House side, that is uh, Chris Pappas, and then on the Senate side, that is uh, John Boozman. They have been long-term friends of the therapy community as a whole, and they happen to be involved on VA committees of jurisdiction. So I talked to them about the language. You know, they, they took a look at it and were happy to be able to introduce it. And, uh, you know, we couldn't really have done this without the help from our federal section as well. You know, they really helped us fine tune the language and provided the meaningful input we needed to get this across the line. Because when you're dealing with the government, words really matter. 
So we need to make sure this terminology is correct. So I really have to thank them for their help with this. And that's doubly true for HR 8181. Our Pelvic Health Academy was just so incredibly helpful in getting this bill going. This is a bill that we actually were fortunate enough to work with the congressional office that introduced this, uh, Rep Herrera Butler's office, to provide input and help craft this. So it was a particularly exciting time for us. And we really could not have done it without the Pelvic Health Academy. You know, they are the experts. They're the ones who provided all the correct terminology, all the information that we and Rep. Butler's office needed to, well, just draft a good bill. And you know this speaks to the the fact that this the advocacy advocacy isn't just about making a phone call to a legislator or or or, or fly-ins or any of these one thing uh, any of these one activities. It's a it's really a sort of a multi-pronged strategy that has to happen at a lot of different levels. And you know I think in in both of these instances we see a real demonstration of how. Uh, you know, APTA's reputation as a reliable source of professional and and um, and policy insight really comes into play. I mean, I think we, what we've seen over the years is that lawmakers and policymakers listen to us because they know that uh, we believe in building durable relationships and uh, government affairs staff, uh, the volunteers and the members are willing to put in the time and effort to make that all happen. So yeah, it's a truly a team effort on uh, on multiple levels. So thanks, Brian, and thanks, Justin, and, and thanks, Kate. Uh, and as we say every time, staying connected is crucial, especially at times like these. And as always, we're here for you. For these particular issues, one of the best ways you can stay up to speed is by joining the APTA Advocacy Network. And that's a free service that provides you with legislative alerts and opportunities for action. Just search for APTA Advocacy Network in our website search bar. And of course, there are lots of ways to stay in touch with a broader range of issues in advocacy and payment. Uh, in addition to our weekly email blast that uh, comes out on Wednesdays that I mentioned before, we, we offer podcasts, uh, live events, webinars, lots of resources to help you stay informed. And if you wanna tune into all the activity going on in payment relative to physical therapy, including many of these advocacy efforts, uh, sign up for our Friday focused monthly collection of payment related articles and resources. And that comes direct to your inbox on the fourth Friday of every month. And again, it's all for free. Just search for email preferences in the search bar at apta.org and sign up, it's, it's really very easy. So again, thanks to Kate, Brian, and Justin, and listeners, remember that there's more to come, not only on the fee schedule, but on the best way for you to add your voice to advocacy efforts around it. So definitely, definitely stay tuned. As a final reminder, be sure to visit APTA.org where you'll find uh, more resources on all of the topics we talked about today. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. It's at APTA Tweets. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for listening. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.